Coming up this week, we wrap a heap of action from around the world. Cricket World Cup League 2, under-19 European qualifying, the European Cricket Championship and Austria's Women's Series with Belgium. But first, a shout-out to our Patreon supporters. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. A huge shout-out to our latest patron, Rajiv Tadani. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash EmergingCricket. But for now... Enjoy this week's EC Pod. Hello and welcome again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick, as usual, joined by Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner. And boys, you both look incredibly sharp as we record this evening. It looks like Nick shaved his beard. Uh, he's gone less caveman. <laughs> and Tim, as I go into a 14th week of lockdown, unable to get a haircut, you look very sharp indeed. Welcome once again, Tim. Look, that's that's great podcast content considering <laughs> nobody is going to be watching this. But um, thank you for the compliment. Yes, it's probably the longest my hair had been for a number of years. No, life life goes on here as things continue to the West. Um, quite strangely in Australia, things going on here. Playing cricket this weekend against the might of melee. Patrick Mataltava, Andrew Mansali. Um, first time I've bowled to these gentlemen. So yes, I'm looking looking forward to that. Um, we will find out later in the week. I think by the time the podcast is published, we'll find out what is happening with the Challenge League in Malaysia. So we'll know whether we have any international cricket until the middle of next year, or at least from an ICC point of view. So frustrations continue. I think uh, seeing a lot of tweets out there around qualification of teams and whatnot for the under-19s, but uh, down the Challenge Leagues as well. I think we're uh, looking at options. Thankfully, we don't have such a, a crowded calendar next year that will mean that things need to be cancelled at this stage, but still very frustrating when you're trying to motivate your national players and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, starting to warm up here nicely, so a little bit more getting moister every day. So I've, you know, I've got to really choose my sh- shirt selections so I'm not going out. <laughs> Looking like uh, I'm Joseph in his Technicolor dream coat all the time. But uh, how are you, Daniel? Again, no one's watching, so they can't see just how greasy that lovely hair of yours is. But um... it's bad because I actually washed it last night. It just looks horrific. Uh, <laughs> definitely in need of some trimming in regards to that. But to your stuff, hoping fingers crossed for your sake, we do, and we all see some Challenge League coming up. It's one of our favourite tournaments to cover, and and of of course, it's part of the pathway for the 2023. World Cup. So, for the ICC standpoint, they really need to get that up and running if they're if they're you know trying to deliver as much competition as and as much of their package to make sure that they meet all those targets. And we'll talk a little bit more about under nineteen World Cup qualification a little bit later on. We have seen some action actually on the field in Europe, which we will talk about as I mentioned a little bit later. But yeah, not too bad here. Uh, just lamenting my lack of a haircut, watching you as sharp as ever. Um, I'm, I'm surprised you're still rolling out those shirts, to be honest, with the humidity of Vanuatu, but that's your prerogative. Uh, Nick, how are <laughs> well, you? No, wait, wait, hang on. You can't, you can't just, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> look, the, the, I'm, I'm so happy to be fitting in shirts that I, I that wouldn't have got around me five months ago. So that, that's why. I, I may be sweating, but at least they fit. <laughs> do you fit in the emerging cricket polo? I do. I do. Yes, oh. that's a result. That's a huge result. Everyone here is unbelievably proud, Tim. Great job. <laughs> I've... 
despite everyone being younger than me in the room, it's like that. There's there's pride. There's there is pride, pride from you from you kids. They, anyway, I just wanted to get that in. But yes, uh, for people you know not watching, which is everyone, uh, this uh, cheesecloth uh, hill figure uh, lad that uh, tends to stick to me. But anyway, th- things are well. But thank you, thank you, Daniel, and I'll I'll stop interrupting you. I know how angry you do get when I interrupt you when you when you're hosting. So I'll let you carry on. I'm I'm only a co-host, guys. Let's let's remember that, uh, Nicholas. Well, what... that, that's not the way I hear you introduced on other podcasts. Uh, no, I made a conscious effort with another pod that I will be appearing on next week. Co-host was the word. Anyway, <laughs> Nick Skinner, what inspired the change? Is it the weather getting warmer? Because I always see you in this bushy frame. And also, how are you doing? I'm well. Uh, well, the the change was mainly just because it was getting very scratchy. It was getting to that point where I was just itching my chin every sort of ten minutes, and thought this is not sustainable. So I uh, just got rid of the whole thing. It's uh, much clearer, much better. But yeah, I'm I'm okay. I've been reading. I finished reading the works of Leopold Sedar Senghor, who is a Senegalese poet and uh, statesman, very involved in the, um, the independence movement in French colonial Africa and one of one of their great writers of the of the last century so very much enjoyed that his uh, movement was called negritude which is basically um a lot of the sort of black colonial French writers kind of showing that they're able to write French just as effectively as people on the mainland and uh it's a great contribution to to literature so yeah what were you reading when we went to the pub last, which is a very long time ago, was that the same guy? Yes. that No, that was it. I just started reading it then. So that was a, a few months ago. Ah, of course. Okay. I was going to say, this definitely rings a bell. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to have time to read. Anyway, I digress. Let's head in straight to uh, cricketing action on the field. And as we are recording, we're awkwardly halfway through this Cricket World Cup League 2 series in Oman, the second of back-to-back series that are being held. Three matches have been played in this one between Papua New Guinea, Scotland and the host Oman. In the first match, Papua New Guinea bowled out for 197. Scotland chased it down with six wickets uh, in hand and seven overs to spare. Uh, in the other matches, PNG once again crumbled uh, for 140. That was after being set 251 for victory by Oman, fell 110 runs short. And the third game of the series, probably the most competitive out of uh, the three thus far, Scotland pushed all the way almost, I think we can probably say, by Oman, set Oman 274 for victory. Oman looked dead and buried with about 10 overs left. I think they had three wickets in hand, needing about six and a half to sort of seven and over. They managed to get a somewhat close, only to fall down at the end. We'll talk about Safian Sharif closing that game out in a minute, but What's our general overview of this series and, and Cricket World Cup League 2 in general? I think for Oman, they're definitely uh, setting the pace, as it were, not only with matches played, but they are backing it up most of the time with victories as well. We'll come to them in a little bit, but maybe starting with Papua New Guinea, it's been a pretty disappointing start, and everyone in the PNG setup will, will, will agree with that statement, yet to win a game in the campaign. And to be honest, after these two results, haven't looked like winning a game especially here where do we begin we know that they've been focusing on t20 cricket when they have been able to play cricket they've struggled with with covid more than just about anybody haven't really had an opponent to play against their rankings for for t20 international cricket slid because of that inactivity where do we start this off tim 
they're definitely not getting the results that they deserve, but in saying that, that they're probably a distant last justifiably. Well, I think there's one of you two that I don't want to still, you know, make it sound like these are these are my ideas, but uh, the team, as we look on the team sheet, is very similar to the one that we saw in, in 2019 and really towards the back end of that World Cricket League Championship. And it just seems that, well, I wouldn't even say that they've stayed still and everyone else has moved past them. It's the same things happening, the same mistakes, the same reliance on, on Asad Vala at the top and, and Tony Ura, who's belligerent, but is, is hot and cold, and then having a team of all-rounders behind them. And I think that's the probably the frustration if you're sitting in the coach's chair. It's, well, who's going to stand up in that in that middle order? You know, Lega Siaka has shown potential for, for six years, really, and then to actually... Yeah, you know, they need a rock in that in that middle order that can hold it together. And you can't, as a captain going out as Vala does having that pressure on you every time you know, you'd feel like a sort of a 14 year old captain a bunch of 10 year olds knowing that you know if you don't if you don't score runs it's, and that and the pressure that he would feel in, in doing that and I don't mean to that in a disrespect to the PNG team I'm just sort of trying to put a an analogy around it that of, of that, that the pressure that you then put on your your best player so I guess me now being being here in Vanuatu and seeing that the strength of development that comes out of the the melee village for example i think it's the same thing that png are probably grappling with when it comes to hanabata you know have they have they got enough players coming through from places outside of those those central catchments and i think that's going a little bit deeper to to looking ahead at the, the t20 world cup and then more immediately at the trigger world cup league two um is it where are the, those next players coming through and i guess now that they're under 19 men's team are going to be in the world cup we're going to see that the next generation there after a little blip on the radar two years ago but i guess here and now how many that's that's 12 odis in a, in a row that they that they've lost and that's that's getting beyond a, a pattern now isn't it you know that's that the alarm bells should be going off you know, let's not forget that the majority of event funding that comes through on a, on a consistent basis for associate teams is linked to 50 over cricket and will be for for another few years so if they continue with these performances and, and as they are dead last and um, cricket world cup league two that means that they're gonna have to play in a, a qualifier to 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 f- see if they can get to the world cup qualifier but also stay in 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 cricket world cup league two uh, and there's a huge funding implication or huge punt funding impact on them if they're not able to, to stay up here and you know we can probably talk about their how well built they are for t20 cricket um but it's it's a, a hard one from an administrator and, and high performance point of view of knowing the the impact they'll have on funding if they can't um, turn it around from a 50 over point of view yeah it's interesting i think as you say you know in the, in the world cricket league uh, championship that they came i think did they come third um but they were you know just one or two wins off topping that tournament and that was not too long ago and and it's just strange to see them looking so just so out of their depth here and uh, you know as you said same players more or less same team um and and yet they just can't put it together it's just the same old same old you know you look at all those matches they've lost in league two so far and you know it's it's always you know they collapse and then someone down at number eight or nine or ten comes and kind of cobbles together a few runs and they have a sort of somewhat defendable total and, you know, then the, the bowls all kind of chip in, but there's n- not really any penetration, you know, 
that game against um, Scotland where they got 197. I think Chad Soper came in at number nine, which you know in itself is a, a strange decision. I have opinions. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll leave you to, to talk about that one. But um, yeah, just this kind of recurring pattern of you know whenever they're at the crease, they don't look incompetent. You know, Legasiaka, as we always talk about, he he looks great. He looks like he should be scoring hundreds, you know, at will, but he just, just gets out to brain fades. And they all, it's just a lack of discipline, a lack of, I think, knowing how to pace their innings. Um, you know, they're all able to hit shots. Like even Keeler down, you know, in that game against Oman, hit a couple of really impressive shots. And that was, you know, <laughs> down at number nine or 10. And so they've, they've got guys most of the way down who can bat, but they just, they just, don't stay at the crease long enough and it, it was the same you know looking back maybe the intercontinental cup was helpful for them in in the world cricket league because they they just had that uh consistent practice of just batting time and and having to stay out in the middle which they they don't anymore and i don't think they play a lot of domestic uh, 50 over cricket so uh you know that they, they don't maybe their techniques aren't quite geared towards that and yeah it's it's a problem not so much of talent but just of the, the, the lack of playing and, and match practice and you know we talk about how the team is very much uh, you know almost the same as as it was a few years ago and that kind of just shows a lack of depth back home which is which is strange you know because obviously you know the 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 kind of next generation of under 19s players had a bit of a <laughs> a road bump with their you know their bands and and whatnot after the um the, the qualifiers uh, a couple of years back but you know where where are the you know next generation of talent coming through because if they're all still coming from Hanabata we we've talked about living in Hanabata with Norman Vanua and how you know people are playing cricket on the streets and and people just they live and breathe cricket and and it's an amazing story but if they're not pulling talent from you know the other 8 million people or however many living in the you know the rest of the country what are they you know where are they going to get the next Asad Vala or the next Nasana Pakana or the next Tony Ura and you know where are the the pressure on those guys to to keep performing lest they lose their spot you know that uh, so i think png yeah as we say probably better on as a t20 outfit but yeah in, in one day cricket they do they do look threadbare don't they there are a lot of questions that could be asked and, and i first looked to the domestic tournament for 50 over cricket the azuzu cup it's only three teams and it's not played over a particularly long period of time there's very little match practice there mm. and you can see it on the field as soon as they walk out and, and bat there's just no pace there's no tempo to, to innings it's very stop start it, it's it's boundary or defense and i look at that team and i think to myself if they just went hard for 20 overs they'd probably put on a bigger score because that's just the way that they play or if they but they dug out the first 15 to 20 overs and were none for 50 and then back ended and back loaded their innings and made 220 it would be a far better result than what we're getting at the moment which is just this awkward halfway phase and yeah three teams you know that's only the best part of 35 to 40 players that are getting that experience and we are seeing a couple of guys slowly transition into the team Gaudi Toka is one player who's dominated on the domestic scene, who's been given somewhat of an opportunity, albeit in those one-day matches before Cricket World Cup League 2. He was unfortunately the the guy that, that 
copped uh, six sixes from Jasker and Malhotra uh, a little earlier this month. But there's just it's it is a little bit head scratching just watching it. There doesn't really seem to be an overall game plan. And it's funny in T20 cricket, I look at PNG as a, as a team that plays great team cricket. They they all get around each other. They're one of the best fielding units in the associate world. They can all bat and bowl a little bit. And it just looks like they just hope that one player goes off with the bat. And at this point of time, it, no one's doing that. If Tony Ura and Asavella don't make runs or they don't occupy the crease for 30 overs, they won't make a good score. And then my other issue is I've begun the hashtag free chatty movement on Twitter. <laughs> Everyone can jump in with me if they want. Well, warming up here. Warm up those vocal cords, Bez. How long do we have? Get the stopwatch out. <laughs> Chad Soper batting at nine in this Papua New Guinea team in the longer of the two formats. Now, let's contextualize this a little bit. Chad Soper is the only player just about in this entire Papua New Guinea setup I could probably give Jack Gardner a bit of a mention because he plays a lot of his cricket in Queensland too, as do a number of guys. He's one of very few players in Papua New Guinea cricketing history, let alone in this national team alone, who has played any form of longer cricket. I mean, outside of the guys who got to play Intercontinental Cup when that was a thing, Chad plays a lot of two-day cricket in Sydney Grey cricket. He builds innings. He bats in the middle to lower orders there, yes. But he would have been the perfect guy in both of these situations where they lost clumps of wickets in the middle overs for him to walk out there and be five not out off 20, 25 balls. It doesn't matter. You can back end with the likes of Keeler, Norman Vanua at the back end of that innings to explode and accelerate and get you 240, 250. Chad can get you from halfway through the innings to the 40th over or even earlier if you, if you need him to because he has that experience and he's got the technique and he's got the temperament to push it along. And you're batting him at nine. It's like having the most reliable car you've ever seen made in the history of the world stuck in the garage while you're out here driving some Morris Minor from the 1980s trying to get from A to B, right? It doesn't compute in my mind personally, and I don't know if this is a sentiment that's been shared by other people around, he looks the part in every single way and he also delivers with the ball too. That's why it looks like he's being picked at the moment because he's bowling really well as well. But you just look at him from a technical standpoint. What else do you want him to do? He's made 46 not out in the first game. Didn't look like getting out. The only reason he got out in the second game is because he had to go because the game was gone. I don't understand. If you lose three quick wickets and you're four for 80 or you're five for 70, why not throw him there and let him do a job that he knows how to do? I sit here and and it's, it's weird because the guys there, the coaching staff, would know. They watch it for themselves. They've got all of this stuff that they inherit, analytics, data, past results, past innings. There's more data on Chad Soper than there is on any of these players. So why are we still having to ask this question? I'm flummoxed. I am perplexed. And I implore for anyone to get in touch and explain what the thinking is because it just doesn't make sense to me. I understand there is a glut of T20 cricket for Papua New Guinea and they're prepping for a World Cup. Let's make no mistake about that. But it's horses for courses in Oman. And in that situation, 100 times over 100, I know who I want in that situation. He's not a number nine bat in that situation. Let's move on. Um, unless anyone has got anything else in regards to PNG, we've almost done a mini show on them. So, Bezzy, do you have to have like a little disclaimer after that that, um, you know, Chad from 
being a childhood. <laughs> so I, I feel I feel with a lot of stuff that's sort of put out there these days, especially on Twitter by former players who are now player agents, that, that every time they compliment a player it just so happens to, to be a player that's in their stable. Yeah. Or people or people pitching pitching uh, articles as well. It's like um what is your Soper Beswick disclaimer? Okay, well first of all I'll preface with Little pro tip to everyone out there pitching stories for Merchant Cricket. If you're the agent of a player that you're writing about, we are not running that piece. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and my disclaimer is, look, I, I've known Chad for a very long time, but I think I would like to think that I can decouple that bias with knowledge and saying that I look at Chad, the player, and think, look, he's got the tools and he's been brought up in a cricketing system that allows him to fit that role if you need him to fit that role. And I compare it to players who have been brought up in Papua New Guinea and it just seems to be this this chalk and cheese comparison. Not that one's right and one's wrong. It's that one fits one situation and one fits another situation. We see Papua New Guinea at a Cricket World Cup on the T20 side of things. So they're obviously doing something right. But when you look to Cricket World Cup League 2, they're 0-10. And, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. If you manage to bat him in the lower half of the order and he keeps making runs and he keeps looking good with the bat, why is it not ticking over in someone's head? You know what? might be an opportunity for him to move up the order and, and fill a role if we do lose wickets. I understand if, you, if you're six for 300... I understand why he's not coming out to bat yet because he's not a T20 player. He might not even start, he might not even make the playing 11 in the T20 World Cup. But this is why you've got him in the squad because he can do this role and they're not picking him to do that role. Yeah, look, I think my perspective on, let's call it the Soper saga, although I know you were looking for hashtag... Hashtag free chatty. Yeah, no, exactly. So I think um, people will know what time we recorded this and we'll say that we're all, we were all sober at the time. No, <laughs> the... Th- point here for me is as well is that they've got a a new coach so I would like to say that that is a good thing if you've got a new coach who ostensibly has not seen a lot of them bar I know that Italy is playing against PNG and I'm sure they were doing a lot of video work and a lot of handover but this is a chance to turn around what you said and and if you PNG are indeed trying to get the same result by doing the same thing over and over, then this is a chance to, to, to change tack. And I wholeheartedly agree. You've got a, a player there who is so suited to the situation to play a bigger role. So no argument from me. Thank you for a rant. Like, I, it's good to hear you not ranting about Sandeep. So look, you can rant as much <laughs> yeah, as you want. And, and to kind of finish up on this, this is not sort of at, at Carl Sanders. He's just inherited the job. So, I mean, it's something that, Joe Dawes would have been looking at for years and years and years and he would have had plenty of knowledge and Carl's kind of been thrown into it. He he started the role remotely as well. He did get a chance to look at Chad in in Queensland when they played some some cricket up there. So I don't know. The jury's probably still out on on a lot of that discussion. But yeah, it just, it looks a little bit frustrating from the outside looking in and just wanting, you know, this team to be as competitive as it can be, to be competitive. And look, by the end of this series, we might see... Chad move up the order and all of this means absolutely sweet FA but it's just an observation after watching you know a lot of this this cricket now which is good because we've got ICC TV for all of this irrespective of how the stream goes at times at least we're able to watch more cricket uh, than we did before let's move on uh, Scotland looked impressive held on in that match um, 
yesterday as we go to record Safi and Sharif just holding on there a couple of key knocks Richie Barrington I think Nick you described it almost as a as a mini Dean Jones innings in the heat he ran off he was that buggered he just wanted to get in the cool in the shade <laughs> but they look they look a good side and I think the thing about Scotland is that they've got depth up and down that 11 and they've got clear roles between all the players in that team and Kyle Kutzer has a number of bowling options and he's chiming in with runs of his own as he tries to find a little bit more form I think he'll he'll probably lament his lack of form leading up to this particular series but Nick you've got to say that beating Oman in Oman is probably the the yardstick of, of how good someone can be in this competition where Oman are on the table and in away conditions the spinners liked it too which helped and and they look a good side at the moment yeah Scotland impressive um they they did seem to struggle a bit with the heat it was you know 39 degrees or something ridiculous so i mean i I wouldn't have been enjoying it either but yeah and i I didn't quite like the comparison you know dean jones wasn't running off the field dean jones was like vomiting on the field i thought it was more of a a suleiman runs away from nigeria when he had had to leave the the field at pace during the the men's t20 world cup qualifier when he had to relieve himself so (laughs) still one of the great moments i I don't think he's got enough airtime but that nominative determinism too (laughs) yeah and if only we knew a guy on this podcast was working for the icc leading up to the t20 world cup I don't work for the ICC team. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, okay, sorry, sorry. It's like no, sorry. You work for a provider, a, 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 a content partner of the ICC. But no, the, I, I'm yeah, oppressive, oppressive conditions. And you know, a guy as fit as as Richie is having to having to take some time. But uh, anyway, back to uh, back to Nick's answer. I just thought I'd I'd share, I'd remind everyone that's a, a worthy search to look up. Suleiman runs away from Nigeria during the T20 World Cup qualifier. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah. Also, okay. Apologies to uh, to Dean to Dean Jones noted there, uh, but yeah, great innings from Barrington. Really, you know, staying out there in the heat and and just you know, obviously sucking down as much water as possible. But um, yeah, I think the Scots. Yeah, hopefully they can acclimatise because yeah, they've got the the T Twenty World Cup and and that's not you know, it's not going to get any cooler. They've got a couple of day nighters though, in in at least in the group stage. So. Potentially that'll help them out, and and they can sort of uh, accustom a bit to that. I think the heat, especially for the seamers, was was a bit much. They really kind of lost the plot in that second game against Oman, where the guys down the order, Sandeep Gowd, Kelly Muller, hit a few a uh, few big ones before he stepped on his stumps, which was quite funny. Um, but uh, you know, Mark Watt was basically unplayable. You know, going at a, around two and over in in both the games. Yeah, he's just been really impressive, and and Hamza Tahir as well coming along nicely. So they've got their left arm orthodox quota filled in that team. Although there's a couple of more uh, left arm orthodoxes coming through the under 19s. But yeah, I was going to say they've got a conveyor belt. <laughs> yes, but yeah. So I think the concern for Scotland will probably be their their pace attack. They just certainly lost a bit of puff at the back end of the the defence there. And Safian Sharif did bowl a good last over to close it out, but. Yeah, similar thing happened against Zimbabwe in that T20 series recently. The the seamers just they couldn't hold their lines in in the back end, and they they were able to, you know, Oman were able to kind of throw them off by moving around the crease, and and you know there was a lot of stuff kind of going wide or or just sort of being fed right into the hitting arc of of the Omanis. So that's something to work on for Scotland. Although you know, looking at the the points table, can they catch Oman? Our friend Bertus de Jong. Has been running some simulations, and um, there's basically 
a massive log jam on the middle of the table of, of this uh, Cricket World Cup League too. And Oman, uh, probably the favourites with you know enough points on the board. They're probably favourites to, to uh, top the table, but you know anything can happen. And just anywhere from two to six out of these seven teams, it's just uh, you know a, a hair's breadth between all of them. So it's going to be very exciting to see how it all shakes out. And um, with a lot of teams very evenly matched, this is uh, you know very exciting cricket. We'll talk about it a little bit with... Oman and, and them moving further away at the top of the order. I'll start with you, Tim, before we do properly wrap Oman's performance thus far in this series. They had a pretty successful one, the series just gone by, but would you rather set the, the tone and almost put the runs on the board by playing more of your matches earlier and, and accumulating your points that way than, than playing catch-up? It's a pretty similar concept to, yeah, as I said, putting runs on the board in a, in a game of cricket. Yeah, and before I get to that, you know, you mentioned Dean Jones before. Do you know it was only a week ago, the 24th of September in 2020, he's been, he's been dead over a year. Wow. Yeah, that's flown. Um, so, yeah, can't be can't be the best time for the Jones family going through all that as well, just as comes to mind. But, yeah, uh, I think you're right. And similar to World Cricket League Championship, I think if we can liken it to, to tournaments of the past that, as you said, sort of runs on the board and getting up the, the points up the top of the table. You know, we were debating last week whether it was an advantage for a man to get all these home games out of the way but also play as much cricket as they have in, in, in a row and you know I, I'm taken back to the end of the World Cricket League Championship and the lament surrounding Hong Kong not chasing down that 320 against the Netherlands when you know with five wickets in hand it was 36 off 24 balls and then oh look if they I say we because it was we at that time if, we, if we'd <laughs> won that game you know we would have won the World Cricket League Championship and how the world would have been so different because it would have been Hong Kong and not the Netherlands but that's in an alternate universe where Hong Kong was able to go on for the rest of that tournament knowing that they weren't playing from the front and the pressure that that would have had that scoreboard pressure they, they need to stick at it um, whereas if Oman get as far out as possible playing these games early in the in the piece i say early who knows when all these games will be finished i think it it will be a a big advantage and whilst bertus's tables are great to actually compare win percentage and and really that's why the usa should actually be quite worried and the fact that their win percentage is under under 50 percent there are teams behind them most teams behind them actually have a better better percentage and you know when we get down to this the business end of of League Two, however, it's going to happen. Whether all the series are going to be played, and where they're supposed to be, or or at all, I guess we'll see. But yeah, I think look at this level of cricket, and I think if any teams are better prepared to deal with sudden death cricket and playing for their livelihoods, it's going to be these teams. But uh, no, I'm definitely erring on the side that Oman will be be happy to be up top, and and even in this case of getting all those home games out out of the way early, to to really be sitting at the top of that table and making everyone else catch them. Yeah, just looking at, at Oman on the field, and again, uh, I think we I want to reiterate something we talked about last week, where they are very reliant on that top four, like a number of teams are, and let's make no mistake about that. But I find that Oman are the team that can make 300 or be bowled out for 30, and they've also done that in, in the recent past. They've been bowled out by Scotland for 20 Eight, I think it was, or twenty-five, not too long ago. So, yeah, and then and then one a day later. So that's right. Yeah, they, they always have that potential where again they they rotated a lot of players, and there's a couple of guys now who only just qualify. Pratapati being one of them at the top of the order, and allowing the likes of Akib Ilyas and, and Zishan Maksud, he, he actually takes the load off them a little bit. So he's a nice little boost to this team. But there's a number of all rounders in this team where almost similar to PNG from about. 
five to eight in the batting order, you could almost kind of roll a dice and just see whoever you want to go out first. And you're going to get a pretty similar result. Sandeep Kyle batting at eight. He's batted at five and six for Oman. So again, they're a team that still, they're top of the table. And it's crazy to think that they are top of the table. They have played a lot more matches, but they're still very much finding that ideal side. Jatinder Singh is, is a big part of both the T20 and the 50 over Omani plans, but he does look red hot as well so if he can sort of use that hot hand both now and, and when the world cup comes along that'll go a long way to, to a lot of their aspirations found a quite a funny moment with Kali Mola being dismissed hit wicket but again Bill Khan is is doing bits at the top with the ball and they do kind of yeah they, they look a little bit like PNG in some ways Nick but of a probably the, the next level above yeah, a couple more specialists, and it's kind of it's in a way it's it's encouraging to PNG. You know, this is if they can just find you know one or two more uh, specialist batsmen and one or two more specialist bowlers, and and then have all those all rounders in the middle sort of sandwich between them, um, that they'll probably be a much stronger team. And Oman, yeah, I mean, you look you look at the um, the the opening bowling partnership with Kali Muller and, and Bill Khan, it's probably one of the strongest in associate cricket. And then they've got Jatinder Singh scoring runs for fun at the moment at the top. So that's that's putting them in good stead just right off the bat. Uh, he's going to be obviously very important for them coming into the T20 World Cup. Um, but the, the fact that he you know, can get them off to, to those quick starts uh, allows the rest of the kind of, I don't know, bits and pieces is is probably not quite fair, but the, the, you know, the rest of the all-rounders to just contribute around him. And um, there's always someone who kind of stands up and scores a 50 or 60, and then you know everyone else chips in with kind of 20s and 30s, and they, they make it to a, to a good score. Kelly Muller, yeah, as we said, hit wicket. Um, he, he was batting very deep in his crease. He, he, he does that as a way of... I guess creating a bit more room to to swing those huge limbs of his to to get the um get the balls you know flying over the boundary rope, but he he was batting so deep in his crease that he just kind of moved a tiny bit but back and and just bumped his stumps and so maybe he'll he'll go a step forward, but um yeah I, I think they're definitely making the running at the top here and um having all these uh, points on the board is yeah it's it's easier to have those points and to defend it rather than you know being someone you know down the table and, and having to to catch up and i guess psychologically it'll be interesting to see how that all kind of plays out by the time everyone listens to this the table will be outdated so there's no point giving you an update right now although oman will no matter what be top of the table uh with usa and scotland finding it out between second and third Everest Premier League, not a whole lot to report on. It's poured down with rain. Poor Lenny. We'll wrap that a little bit more once we when we see some actual action on the field. Unfortunately, from an Australian point of view, uh, we're not able to watch this at the moment, even though a, a company or a TV media outlet uh, professed to have won the rights for the tournament, only to not show it. And I think that's the only... Uh, part of the story I really want to mention and it's currently geo-blocked from Australia and leaving a lot of Nepali expats and the diaspora here in Nepal out in the cold and without being able to watch cricket which is thoroughly disappointing. Very strange. Did you say that the South African domestic competition was being shown here instead? Yes, so I don't know what the... I don't know if it was a like-for-like replacement that was... if there was any speculation around that that was just my speculation but we were of the knowledge that there was no other cricket that was going to be played instead of this and then all of a sudden the South African domestic tournament ended up popping up on KO Sport and and Fox Sports here so I've just named the the station anyway it doesn't really matter everyone saw it 
Let's move on to some actual cricket that happened and we got to watch. Ireland winning the under-19s Europe qualifier for the World Cup in the West Indies next year. They've booked the uh, the sole ticket from Europe. Just one spot in the tournament left up for grabs now, and that will come from Africa with that qualifier happening this week. But a fascinating week. Normally in under-19s continental qualification, there seems to be one out-and-out dominant performer, or at least two. There were three teams that really put their hand up in this competition. The Netherlands beat Ireland for the first time since 2013 to get their campaign off to a strong start. They needed a big net run rate boost win against Jersey. Went all out trying to achieve that, only to fall short going for it, and and no qualms against them for you know going all out trying to get there. But fascinating contest between Ireland and, and Scotland. Ireland winning both matches against Scotland, one in the in the round robin phase and then one in the final, and the matches petered out almost exactly the same. Ireland bowled out in the mid one hundreds, and then Scotland rolled for forty four and sixty six respectively in both of those games. The Almeria uh, surface at, at Desert Springs probably has a, a couple of questions to answer in regards to the surface. They did move it from Lamanga, but Ireland as the full members to people not sort of privy to associate cricket at the underage level. Scotland have had arguably the dominance in this region. They qualified for the last World Cup and and looked every bit a good team. But Ireland have come out strongly here and won the tournament. Matthew Humphreys, player of the tournament. Tim Tector, the winning captain, a famous family of Irish cricket. And Nick, it was a pretty fascinating tournament when it all shook out in the end. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened to the Scottish batting there. They, (laughs) being being rolled like that, you'd think having bowled, Ireland out for a, a very manageable total that they would have made more of a fist of it but yeah it seems the tracks might not be uh, particularly good for batting looking at who was taking wickets left arm orthodox just dominating Oliver Davidson with 14 wickets and Charlie Pete with six wickets for Scotland uh, Charlie Pete's economy rate there was a 1.7 which is just amazing <laughs> incredible um, and you know Nathan Maguire 11 wickets off spinner uh, Matthew Humphreys, nine wickets, left arm orthodox. Even even Cherise Ahmed um, with six wickets for the Netherlands and Toby Britton with five wickets for Jersey, another off spinner. So the, the finger spinners just running riot to me would indicate, I mean, Davidson and Pete in the last qualifiers did quite well and, and they seem to be quite talented there for Scotland. But, you know, just the fact that so many wickets are falling to finger spinners, yeah, w- would would seem to show that the, the surface at Desert Springs is um, not necessarily much better than the one they swapped away from at, at La Manga, which was looking was a bit tired for the women's qualifier. Uh, we we, we, knew, we know that the grounds keeper there um, said that he'd had only sort of a couple of weeks to get it all up to shape, and so you know <laughs> it was it was actually pretty good for for what it was. Um, but quite possibly Desert Springs was in a similar situation with English club teams um, not coming over throughout most of the pandemic and, and so potentially um, they, they weren't upkeeping the pitch in the same way. But um, yeah, the, the batting, uh, Jack Dixon scored 100 for Ireland, which which was impressive, um, but there was only six scores of 50 plus for in the whole tournament, which, yeah, again, um, and I mean, this is, this is often the thing at uh, under-19 level is that they haven't mm. you know, fully developed into the complete batsmen who are able to, to play time in, in the same way as, as the senior guys do. But um, yeah, the Dutch made a good effort. I think they got bowled out for 180 in about, 34 overs they were chasing 200 ish in 30 or so so they weren't too far off but they they didn't have the power to keep the momentum going Cherise Ahmed uh with 57 or 52 and Pierre Yakod with 
39 off 37 had a, a 70 run partnership but after that they, they just couldn't go and uh, Jersey ended up getting a win and, and so you know all, all the teams beat each other which was uh, quite good in, in this tournament um, you know good parity cycle there for you in, in the mini yes yeah a, a fair play to the Dutch and, and we'll talk about it a little bit when we talk about the ECC as well but as we as we've said they've sent three teams out around different parts of the world one's preparing for a world cup one's at the ecc and the under 19s are here competing in world cup qualification and yeah for them to grab that win against Ireland, first of all who were eventual champions shows that yeah the region is going to be pretty strong hopefully in in the next generation of of talent and to go for that net run rate boosting win it's hard you know when you'd almost rather have jersey earlier in the in the tournament if you're the netherlands hopefully win that game and then just rely on on other results later on. Maybe, you know, it works out a little bit differently, and and that's just the way that the draw goes. But overall, a pretty enjoyable tournament. And yeah, Mark Humphreys involved in the final five, five wickets and two catches in the final, uh, player of the match in the final, and then player of the tournament as well. ECC uh, continuing in Spain. Uh, We saw Austria finish second in Group B with the Dutch 11, winning the group, certainly not, untouchable did lose one match in that but safely through to the semi-finals but Austria for me a little bit of a surprise packet the Dutch A team not really putting out a T10 team per se but rather rewarding good performances at domestic level and some younger players as well a couple of interesting points to note here um, huge individual performances by Portugal only to fall second last in the group and look we're starting to see some great T10 action around the tournament has made me think, Nicholas, and I can't say I'm a great thinker, uh, but there is an argument around the place that the T10 cricket does bring a lot of the stronger teams and the weaker teams closer together purely by uh, the law of averages, the, the numbers, the balls bold. You still have 10 wickets in hand. The idea that a lot of people come out with that, you know, you only need one player to get going it kind of works in reverse a little bit in T10 cricket. And, and to cite Portugal at this tournament, they've got the leading run scorer at the tournament so far, Sean Gomes, 349 runs, an average of 58.16, a strike rate of 192.8. And they have two of the three leading wicket takers in the tournament at the time of recording. Yet they've finished fourth, which in my view kind of debunks that theory. Yeah, I saw Nixon, our good friend Andrew Nixon, talking about this as well. And it's something that, I mean, you can apply it to T20 as well. The same logic of, oh, you know, you only need one person to to go hard and you can narrow the gap. But I think these short formats, in a way, extend the gap because uh, one of the key differences between top teams and and the small teams is just the power hitting that they they have and, and the specialization of roles in that. And, you know, a team like... You know, <laughs> Portugal doesn't have the same capacity to just hit balls over the fence at will that a, a higher-ranked team will have. And in, in a game where hitting big and, and hitting sixes is proportionately more important, having guys that can do that more effectively becomes proportionally more of an advantage. So I think the uh, the idea that super short formats make the top, te- you know, make, make upsets more likely is a bit of a myth. The teams playing in this week of the ECC uh, group action will probably be already concluded by the time you listen to this, but in England, 11 of club players, Czech Republic, Germany, Finland, and Italy, and then the finals week will be the week after. Um, looking forward to watching that all over the world. It's 
quite accessible and, and the stream quality is good, as we mentioned last week. Finally, Nick, uh, Austria and Belgium took each other on in a women's T20 international series. 3-0 win to Austria. Yeah, Belgium played their first women's T20Is, which is nice. We, we're seeing all these teams which are... Were granted universal T20I status uh, a couple of years ago. They're all slowly getting ticked off and, and everyone's playing at least a, a couple of games, so that's nice. Um, Austria, too good. Bit of improvement shown by the Belgians across the series as they uh, you know scored slightly more each game. But uh, Andrea Maidzepeda really was the start of the show for Austria. Scored their first T20I century and, and scored 250 runs in the series. So, uh, very dominant performance for her. And interesting to see because Austria, they were sort of a, a level below the teams at the women's qualifier in Spain that we, we saw about a month or so ago. Um, and Austria are probably, you know, the next rung below that. And, and so, it just shows where Belgium's at, uh, you know, in the kind of the pecking order. And so, clearly the fact that Austria winning comprehensively against them would show that yeah Belgium still have a little way to go another bumper week of associate cricket great to chat with you boys again uh, but for now that's all the news in the emerging game this week to keep up with news and events from the game's new world make sure to follow emerging cricket wherever you are on social media and across the listening platforms plenty of t20 world cup coverage coming on both the website emergingcricket.com and right here on the pod but for now on behalf of Tim Cutler Nick Skinner and myself Daniel Beswick we'll see you next week